Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Linda. Come, you thankful people, come. As we begin our service today, the choir and praise team will lead us in sanctuary, and then we'll ask you to join us as we sing. sing and worship together is rejoice ye pure in heart rejoice 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 give thanks and sing it's hymn 578 may we stand as we sing
seated. Amen. Good morning. It's good to see everyone this morning. Um, I know uh, it's been a busy week, been a full week. A lot of you have been traveling, and, and, and some of you have been uh, unwell. And so it's just good to see your faces this morning. Uh, I'm going to ask you all to do one thing, and that's smile on the count of three. One, two, three. Smile. Amen. Love. love it. It's, it, we're in church. Amen. We should smile. We should have lots of reasons to smile. And so um, love to see your smiling faces. Always good to be with you to worship the Lord on uh, Sunday mornings. And, uh, and so today is no exception. We've got a, we've got a full morning of events. Um, Brother Richard and the band and the choir, they kicked us off well. And, uh, and so I just want to kind of walk you through a few announcements this morning as we prepare ourselves for Thanksgiving and, uh, and some of the events that are going on here at the church. In your bulletin, you'll notice that, uh, and you can obviously see in front of us, that um, we are sending away our uh, Operation Christmas Child shoeboxes today. We're going to deliver those um, to Troy First Baptist Church, and, uh, and, and we're going to offer a prayer here in just a moment over these boxes. But thanks be to God, by the grace of God, this church uh, prepared 150 boxes uh, for delivery. And um, we've watched some videos over the past week. We know the impact that these boxes make. Um, and so I'm just grateful that this church um, was, was, was willing and able and, and, and capable of doing so many boxes. And so um, we're going we're gonna to one last time uh, just announce that we are um, still just a little short of the shipping on that. So if the Lord leads you this morning to, to help cover the cost of the shipping is $10 a box. And so if you do the math on that, it's about $1,500 to ship these boxes around the world. Okay? Um, so just, uh, just tuck that away. If the Lord lays that on your heart, just make sure you, that you designate that toward um, the Operation Christmas Child shoeboxes. Also this week, um, Tuesday night, actually. Actually, it's all day Tuesday. The Feeding of the 5,000 is going on here in Union City. Uh, it's, it's, it's headquartered at the Refuge Church over at the fairgrounds, Brother Dan Huggins' church. Um, and uh, there's going to be a full day of events as well. Uh, at 10 a.m., they're going to start handing out groceries, and, um, and, and folks from the community will be coming throughout the day to get the bags of groceries. So they're looking for individuals who are willing to pray with these people as they leave and go back to their cars. Um, and so if you're willing and able, 10 a.m. to about 4, they're going to be doing the, the, give, the grocery giveaway and the prayer. And then at 5, they're going to be doing the meal. Okay, and you want to volunteer to help with the meal, um, serve, clean up, things like that. That's going to go from 5 to 8. Okay, it's a full day of activities, um, and so I wanted to make that announcement just so you can serve if you can and will. Um, also, uh, coming up very soon, uh, as we transition a little bit from Thanksgiving, because we are celebrating Thanksgiving this Thursday as a nation, um, but looking out ahead a little bit further, um, we're going to be having poinsettias for sale here at the church. Um, the, only, the only thing that I would add to that announcement is that if you want one, um, you have to have that order in by December the 1st so that we can place the order and have them here for Christmas, okay? Um, so make sure you pay attention to that. They are $20 uh, for the poinsettias. Um, again, you have this Sunday and you have next Sunday to get that order in to the church office uh, so that we can get you a poinsettia. And then, of course, Saturday, December the 3rd, 9 a.m. or 9.30-ish, we're going to be decorating the church for Christmas. Amen? Um, and so the decorating committee has, has, has just asked to, this to be a, a church-wide fellowship function, just a, just a, a time of, of fun. Um, donuts, coffee are going to be provided. Um, we would not want you to be uncaffeinated or your sugar to be low as we decorate. Amen? 
because that is no good. Uh, we don't want there to be any kind of trauma from this event. And so we will provide the caffeine and the sugar, and we just need your smile. Amen. Uh, there'll be something for everybody to do. The, the ladies have it all ready to go, planned out. And so um, please come 930 December the 3rd. Okay, that's the, that's the announcements. I, I don't want to, to, to drag it on too much longer. Uh, that's what's going on here at the church. Um, just would like to, again, thank you, welcome you to, uh, to, to First Baptist Church to worship with us. Let's pray together. Um, pray over these boxes and pray over our worship hour together. And then Brother Richard and the band will come and lead us in more worship. Let's pray together. Father, this morning as we, as we come into your presence, Father, we are keenly aware of your glory. We are keenly aware this morning of your majesty, your holiness. And Father, we're thankful. Our hearts are filled with thanksgiving uh, for all that you are and all that you've done. Uh, God, you are truly a, a graceful and a merciful God. Uh, you are the God of the generations, the Christians that have come before us and Christians who will come after us. Father, you have been faithful throughout the generations to your people. And so, Father, I just thank you for this church. I thank you for its ministry and, and for your faithfulness to it. God, I thank you for what you're calling us to do and equipping us to do. And, and I just thank you for the willing hearts that are obedient to that call. Uh, Father, I just would pray that you just continue to bless the ministry here at this church, uh, bless our worship each and every time we meet, but also bless the hearts that, that are engaged in, in kingdom work. Uh, Father, most especially true is the, the boxes that sit in front of me. Uh, this morning, as this church has prepared these 150 boxes to be sent to 150 children around the world, Father, we know that in your divine sovereignty, in your omniscience, that you have the understanding and awareness, the, the capability of knowing who is going to receive each one of these boxes. And so, Father, I would just like to pray. As, as this church gathers together in prayer, I'd like to pray for that soul. I'd like to pray for that young boy or that young girl that's going to receive one of these boxes. Father, I pray that their hearts are, are blessed by the, the, the contents of the boxes. But most especially, Father, I pray that their hearts and faith respond in salvation to you. I pray that the gospel is advanced in these boxes. I pray that the kingdom is enlarged through the faithful giving of your saints here at First Baptist Church. Uh, Father, may your will be done, accomplished in each one of these boxes May each child be blessed. May each family be blessed accordingly. Uh, Father, we thank you again for the privilege of being able to partner with uh, Samaritan's Purse and with the, the Holy Spirit um, to, to share the gospel around the world. So, Father, bless these boxes as we, as we send them away. Bless our worship hour as we gather together as, as the saints of God here at this church. Um, Father, may, may we just rejoice this morning as the song said, for all that you've done for us. Uh, Father, we thank you again for who you are, and may you be glorified by, the, by the, uh, the reading of your word this morning. May you be glorified by the song and the worship that's offered to you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You know, sometimes when we sing, we sing songs of our faith and the courses, and they paint an image in our mind. And, of course, the next song is As the Deer, As the Deer. And uh, I, I honestly wish they had never titled this song As the Deer because you missed the whole complete point. Yes, it is based on Scripture, Psalm 42, but 
if you look at the chorus, uh, David, put the words, the lyrics to the chorus on there. You alone are my strength and shield. To you alone may my spirit yield. Then you alone are my heart's desire. I long to worship you. Go back to the, fir- the, the first slide of you alone. Yeah. You alone are my strength, my shield. To you alone may my spirit yield. And then you alone are my heart's desire. And I long to worship you. In, in a, a church where I served, uh, this lady, when, I, when we were singing, she said, are we singing the deer song again? She'd always say that. And I thought, you missed the whole point. So in worship, let's don't miss the point. The point is to him alone, that audience of one that we're singing to. Let's worship together and sing this as a prayer as we sing as the deer. It is a beautiful chorus, and so um, it, is, it is an interesting title, but it is a beautiful chorus. Psalm 95, verses 1 through 7, a call to worship, really, is really this, this song that is put to words, put to music that we don't know, but the music and the lyrics is, are here for us to know. And it's really, this morning, on, as on the eve of Thanksgiving, a call to worship. Um, God's people coming together, lifting their voices uh, in the Word of God to praise His name. And so this... This verse, these seven verses, are, are beautiful. Psalm 95, verses 1 through 7. 
say this. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is great and the great king above all gods. In his hands are the deep places of the earth. The heights of the hills are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his, his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship together and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice. Amen, church. What a wonderful uh, passage of scripture this morning as the word of God is read in the house of God this morning. It is the Thanksgiving season. We count our blessings. We name them one by one. 585 is our offertory course. Count your blessings. May we stand together as we sing. When upon my spirit you are Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you again for such a wonderful, beautiful day. Lord, we thank you for allowing us to come to your house to worship your name. We ask that Brother Ben deliver some message today so we may have further knowledge of your word. We pray for all those that are sick and unable to be with us. 
pray for us as a nation as we come to this time for tithes and offering. Let us give from our hearts and let us be used to glorify your precious name. These things we ask and pray. Amen. Let's stand together as we worship, as we sing together 10,000 Reasons. Congregation, you'll join us on the chorus. Chuck's going to sing the verses on this.
Sometimes you just got to have that right chord before you can start. And I think that's, there's probably a sermon in there. I'm not going to follow that one too far. But, um, but it, it, is, it, is, uh, it is true. It's true in music and it's true in, in ministry in general. And so um, anyway, let's turn in our Bibles this morning to the book of Psalm chapter 103. Psalm 103 this morning. We're going to read the verse six verses of that psalm or rather the first five verses of that psalm. And, uh, and, and kind of continue that theme, bless the Lord, O my soul. That's kind of how this psalm starts. Uh, it's really going to be centered around that phrase, bless the Lord. That's the title of the sermon. Um, it's, it's kind of the theme from which we get uh, our prerequisites for Thanksgiving. Uh, I know national holiday coming up on Thursday. I want to speak to that here in just a minute. But really, uh, biblical Thanksgiving, as we have been talking about for these last three weeks, um, it is true, and I, and, I, and I find it fascinating as, as kind of a student of American history and used to teach and those kinds of things. It is true that as we approach the, the national holiday of Thanksgiving, it, it seemed good for the country, and it, and it also is good for Christianity, to understand how Thanksgiving is most celebrated or how it's, how it's most exalted in its, uh, in its response 
Um, Psalm 103, and we'll, we'll jump into it here in just a second. Psalm 103 captures this uh, in the form of benefits, um, benefits from God. But, but, but as we begin our discussion today, um, it's, it's most powerful catalyst anyway. Thanksgiving's most powerful catalyst seems to be hardship. Um, and I think that's, that's kind of the best place to start when it comes to understanding Thanksgiving, whether as a national holiday or whether as a, as a form of worship. Hardship has a way of, of making us truly thankful. It's often the difficult things or the difficult times that we go through that yield the strongest response to Thanksgiving. Um, and if I could briefly, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, give this some kind of anecdotal evidence, I mean, we can go all the way back to 1620 when our national holiday transpired. Uh, we all know the events of 1620 and the pilgrims and, and landing at Plymouth Rock. Um, but but the, the, the holiday itself, uh, the very first Thanksgiving, wasn't necessarily celebrated without much hardship. I mean, 102 passengers set sail in the fall of, of, of 1620, and by the end of the winter of 1621, all but 53 of them were dead. Whether that was from disease or whether that was from exposure or from starvation or whatever the case was, only 53 people survived. So by the time the spring and the summer had gotten um, had caught up to the, the pilgrims and the others that were still alive, it wasn't without the care and the guidance of a local Indian named Squanto did the pilgrims, were they able to turn the corner. By the way, this Indian wasn't just some casual man who walked up from the woods and said, how? Right? Because that's, I mean, that's, that's almost demeaning. I didn't mean to sound insensitive to that, okay? In this culturally sensitive world, I did not mean to sound culturally insensitive to Indians. Anyway, Squanto was an Indian who was local, but miraculously knew English. I mean, what are the odds of 102 people landing on the shores of what we know today as Massachusetts, suffering through the winter, dying from disease and exposure, to only find an Indian come up to them who knew English. And not only did he know English, he knew, he knew how to care for the survivors of that first year. And what it ultimately resulted in was a huge celebration at the end of the first harvest. As the local Indian tribes got together and they sat down with these Europeans and they, they all got together and they all thanked God for, for the provision that he had given to them because of the care that he had provided for them in the local Indians. Now this celebration represents what we call the first Thanksgiving. But as we trace the national holiday through American history, this tradition we will find as one of becoming federal law followed much of the same kind of precedent. For example, in 1863, President Abraham Lincoln set aside the last Thursday in November to be celebrated as, quote, a day of thanksgiving. Now, why did he do that? Well, it's because our nation, both north and south, was immersed in a great civil war. In fact, in the fall or the, the summer of 1863, 
we had seen the largest engagement of, of, of American military forces on American soil. We'd seen the most amount of casualties. 53,000 Americans had died in literally three days in July at Gettysburg. And so by the time the fall got here, this, this, this nation didn't have a whole lot to be thankful for. And so Abraham Lincoln reminded them, look, in the midst of much hardship, it's good for us to set aside a day to count our blessings so as to turn the tide of the, the nation. Now, his encouragement was continued as precedent until 1941. Every president since Abraham Lincoln followed the tradition of, of annual Thanksgiving at the last Thursday in November. And in 1941, as America found itself on the cusp of another great war, uh, President Roosevelt signed Thanksgiving into law as an official national holiday. Now, we had not yet seen the horrors of what World War II had in store, but we knew that war was coming, and we knew as a nation we needed to huddle up and say, God, thank you for all that you've done for our nation. I would probably make that argument that we need to do that once again now. As a nation, we need to come back together and be thankful for what we have. We need to stop worrying about what we don't and be thankful for what we do. I think that would be pivotal in bringing national healing to our country. Um, in, a, in a land of prosperity as ours, in a land of abundance, it's, it's sometimes hard when everything's peachy to give thanks. It just is. And that's why the very first statement that I made about how hardship is usually the number one catalyst for thanksgiving or the, 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 the moment or the, the worship of or the giving of thanks. And the reason this is true is because hardship has a way of making the important things more meaningful. Amen? It does. I don't think that I have to say that to First Baptist Church this morning as this church has been through much hardship in recent years. It's the hardship and the reminder of the hardship and the exposure to the hardship that makes us most thankful for what we have right now. One another. Amen? And I know that, that the church is not what it used to be in the 90s, and I know that the church is not what it used to be in the early 2000s, but look, when you look around this morning, each other is what you have, and you should be thankful for that because it could be totally different. It could not be the case. And so as we think about hardship, as we think about how hardship simplifies things and it causes the heart to contemplate that which is most important, it allows us to appreciate that which matters most. Thus, Thanksgiving, in many ways, is something we learn to do. Amen? It's something that we, that we have to be uh, exposed to, hardship anyway, to end up learning how to be thankful for those things that we do have. Because Thanksgiving is intentional. It's not passive. Uh, oftentimes, if it's passive, we just don't give thanks at all. We just end up taking things for granted. The exact opposite of Thanksgiving. We end up being so used to having, so used to the abundance, so used to the extra, that we end up taking everything for granted. We have to be intentional about being thankful. 
We have to be intentional about pausing and saying, God, thank you. I mean, even our nation as a national holiday from, from the very first Thanksgiving in 1620 to 1863 in Abraham Lincoln and 1941 in President Roosevelt, from all of those events that transpired, we had to be intentional even then to say, God, thank you. And I pray that it never gets to the point in our country again where we have to be intentional about being thankful again. That this passivity of taking everything for granted will, will pass and then we will remind ourselves of the blessings that we have. Because that's what our text today reminds us of. If you can remember at the very beginning, three weeks ago, when I very shared the very first Thanksgiving sermon, we talked about how biblical Thanksgiving was different than just general Thanksgiving, and that biblical Thanksgiving reminds us of three things. Who God is, the works that he has done, and then how we benefit from that. Thanksgiving biblically puts our eyes on God, and it says, God, thank you for who you are. Most importantly... Not thank you for my stuff. Thank you for what I have and, and, and who I am and all that stuff. But God, thank you for who you are, for your faithfulness, for your mercy, for your grace. And then it allows us to look around and see all the things that he's done. In fact, this was one of the regular reminders that the Old Testament Jews, the Hebrews, were reminded of in the Old Testament. Remember, God, uh, Jews, I am the God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. I am the one who brought you out of slavery. That reminder is over and over. Whether it's a prophet, whether it's a priest, whoever it is, there's a reminder. My people, listen to me. I'm the one. I am the one who set you free. I am the one who placed you in the land flowing with milk and honey. I am the one who've made you holy. I am the one who've called you my people. It's all about God. It's all about looking at him and seeing what he's done, not what we've done. Because once we, once we accomplish that, then we can set, a, to set our eyes on the benefits that come from those two things. And that's what I want to read this morning in our text. I know that was a really long introduction, wasn't it? I know my wife was thinking it. And, and, and maybe a few others. And some of y'all are thinking, oh, we're in for it today. I'm, I'm, I promise you I'll, I'll try to keep this as light as I can. Let's stand together and let's read God's word. 103, Psalm 103, verse, verses 1 through 6. The psalmist says this, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And I imagine if he, had a, he was a Southern Baptist, it would have sounded just like the song we just sang a second ago. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord. O oh, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Well, what are those benefits? Who forgives all your iniquities, who heals your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. Amen, church. Let's pray over this passage before we continue. Father, thank you for this word this morning. Father, as it has now been read in the assembly of your saints, may it be blessed forevermore. We pray this in Christ's name and amen. All right, go ahead and have a seat. So what are we to be thankful for specifically? 
Now, I just let, read to you several things. I do want to, to walk through these things just for appreciation's sake. There's a, there's a, there's a whole lot of things in here that, that, again, if we're not intentional, we'll take for granted. Amen? Tuck that away. Because as I just read to you those things, the very first one, he forgives our sins. How many of us have intentionally in the last week intentionally gone to God and said, God, thank you for forgiving me of my sin? Right? We end up oftentimes just taking that for granted. When we were 11 years old and we bowed our knees at a VBS and we said, God, forgive me, I'm a sinner, and he, he forgave us of our sins, from that point on, it's, it's absent from our minds how willing God is to forgive of sin. Because you've committed a lot of sins since you were 11 in vacation Bible school, amen? We all have. But by the grace of God, to the glory of God, he has forgiven all. All our sins, past, present, and future. Now, one of, the be- one of the most beautiful examples of this from Scripture, and I want to read this to you this morning so that we, don't, that we don't, again, that we don't forsake the beauty of what it is to be forgiven of sin. Luke 7, verses 36 through 50. And I know it's a long passage, but I want to capture it because it's one of the most beautiful examples in Scripture of what it means to be forgiven of sin, the fullness of it, the magnitude of it. What does it look like to be forgiven of sin? Verse 36 of chapter 7 of the book of Luke says this, Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house, and he sat down. And behold, a woman, listen to me, a woman in the city who was a sinner. By the way, imagine your name getting put in the Bible, being known as that. A woman who was a sinner... When she knew that Jesus sat at the table at the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, and stood at his feet, being Jesus, behind him, weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet, and anointed them with the fragrant oil. And now when the Pharisee, who had invited him, saw this, he spoke to himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. (gasps) God forbid. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Simon, I I have something to say to you. So he said, Teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of these or which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have said rightly. And then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? Notice how he caught everybody's attention on her. Do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. You gave me no kiss. But this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil. But this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. 
for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who forgives sins? And then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, that story beautifully captures that point. To whom much has been forgiven, much love is in response. This whole point is captured in the idea that Thanksgiving comes from knowing that your sin, every single one of them, which are many, are forgiven. They are wiped clean as far as the east is from the west by the blood of Christ. I call this idea, this principle, the abounding grace principle out of Romans chapter 5, verse 20. This, that verse says, where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. You see, when you stop, and this is how you appreciate this, when you stop and you consider all that you are in you, inside of you, what you truly know yourself to be, When you think about all the things you've done, the things that you're doing right now, and the things that you will do in the future. And then you understand that the grace of God covers all of that. Then the only thing you can do is respond with thanksgiving. You are so filled with love for the grace that was extended to you that it abounds more and more. I've said this before. I'll say it again. Grace is most seen and evident In the darkest of sin. Oftentimes we don't like to think of ourselves as dirty little sinners. We like to think of ourselves as saints. Precious in the sight of God. And we are through Christ. But you're still sinner. You still have sin anyway. The sin nature. Therefore. When your sins are forgiven. You are empowered. Requisite to thank God Because he's the one who forgave them. Now this will make the most sense when you're standing before the Lord in judgment. Right now in a passive service, you're hearing this and you're receiving it. And you might look at it and say, oh, that's nice. But when you're standing before God in judgment, the God of the universe, and he looks upon you. He's going to say, what did you do? with Christ and at that moment everything that Christ did for you will make all the difference it will matter so much that Thanksgiving will be the only response that you'll have you'll you'll look like those elders in the Revelation 4 where they're throwing their crowns back at the feet of God and say we're not worthy and God said through Christ you are come into my presence. Amen? That's the beauty of being forgiven of our sin. Number two, he heals us of our diseases. Again, if we don't stop and intentionally appreciate this, we'll take it for granted. How many times do we hear about people being healed from disease? Oftentimes we hear it so much that we just, again, take it for granted until we're sick. Until it's our surgery. Then it means something different, doesn't it? 
All right, when we're praying for others and, and they're in hardship and they're sick and they're diseased and they're racked with all kinds of infirmity, we'll pray for them, maybe, if we can remember. But by golly, if it's, if it's us on the operating table, we don't want somebody to forget for nothing. Boy, that person that said that they'll pray for me, they better be praying because I'm relying on it right now. The Lord heals us of our diseases. I want to read another real quick story, and I promise you I won't do this the entire time. This is the only other story that I want to read. Luke 17, verses 11 through 19. A little shorter, but again, one of the greatest passages of Scripture of what this looks like to be healed of our disease and to respond in thankfulness to God. Chapter 17, the book of Luke, verse 11. Now it happened as he, being Jesus, went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. By the way, there were a lot of sinners there. Jews didn't even like going through there because there were so many sinners. They were everywhere. And so they just went around it. But Jesus, going through the midst of Samaria and Galilee, then verse, verse 12 says, Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priest. And so it was as they went, they were cleansed. Don't miss that. Because as they were cleansed, and one of them, verse 15, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his feet, on his face rather, at the feet of Jesus, giving thanks to him because he was a Samaritan. (gasps) God forbid you'd be a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. You see, that's what being cured of your disease looks like. Because these, these ten guys, for all practical purposes, were giving a death sentence. They had a terminal life sentence that resolved... With nothing but isolation, with nothing but the 10 of each other's company. Listen to me. If you had to spend all of your time with the same 10 people, you'd probably go crazy. Especially if you all had the same condition. All you would probably do is sit around in your little circle, huddled up, and have just a gigantic pity party all the time. Well, guys, I guess this is it. You'd rock back and forth. I guess this is all all life has for us. I I mean, you know, I don't know really what to make of it, but but we're, we're toast. This is just the way it is. There's no more hope. There's no more life. There's no more nothing. But as they saw Jesus from afar, they screamed at him. The Lord have mercy on us. How many of us have ever been there, by the way? In a place at a time. Maybe it's surgery. Maybe it's diagnosis. Maybe it's death. Whatever the case may be, we've all been to that place where we've looked out to Christ and said, Lord, have mercy on me. And in this case, the Lord did. All ten of them were healed, but only one returned to give thanks. Hear me, Christian. Be that one. 
Be that man or be that woman who recognizes that God has healed you from your infirmities, whether it be sin or sickness. Be that one that returns to Christ and says, thank you, for he heals our diseases. He also redeems us or redeems our lives anyway from destruction. Now, in the Hebrew, this is talking about hell. Sheol, Gehenna, Hades, hell, whatever you want to call it, it's all the same thing. He rescues or redeems, is probably a better word, our lives from destruction. Better stated, it could say, he saves us from the eternal death of hell. Now, let's pause and appreciate this, because oftentimes, again, we just take it for granted. Again, we were 11 years old at vacation Bible school. We were saved, signed, sealed, delivered, praise God, we're going to heaven. And very few of us have thought about hell since. It was the last time you gave hell a real thought. Because, and I only ask you that, because people you know, people you're related to, people you work with, people you shop with at Walmart, people you don't even know are going there if you don't say something to them. Evangelism, discipleship, all of those things are important when we talk about lost souls. We're just thankful that God saved us. We don't have to worry about hell anymore. Well, the people around you do. Thus, you should be at least, at least cognizant of its eternal destruction. And to appreciate this, we must contemplate what hell actually is. By the way, in the most recent studies of Southern Baptist Christian life, only about 60-something percent of Southern Baptists anymore believe in an actual physical place called hell. That shows you how far we've come from Scripture anyway. If, if only 67, I think it's 67% of us think that hell even exists, it's no wonder we don't evangelize. Because we're not concerned about people actually dying and going there. It's the first thing that crosses my mind when I hear people passing away. It's the very first thing I think about, where they saved. Because if not, hell is where they're going. What is hell? Well, in Revelation 21, verse 8, it's a burning lake of sulfury fire. In Matthew 25, 46, it's eternal punishment. In Psalm 9, 17, it's the place of the dead. 2 Thessalonians is the place shut out from the presence of the Lord, from the glory of his presence. In Matthew 13, 50, it's a blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In Acts 2, 27, it is a place of decay. In Mark 9, 43, it's the place of never-ending, unquenchable fire. In Matthew 25, 41, it's the place reserved for the devil and his fallen angels. And consequently, a place which many will share with them. In 2 Peter 2, 4, it's the place of eternal darkness. In Luke 16, 23, it's the place of eternal torment. So considering this, isn't it good to know that God has saved you from such a place? He has redeemed our souls from destruction. That doesn't mean in this life. That means in the next one. 
That means that God has saved us. He's done the work sufficient to, to keep us from going to a place that he has prepared for Satan. That through Christ, everything has been done. All we do is believe and respond in faith. Because if that doesn't keep you from being thankful, I don't know what will. In fact, it was fear of judgment and death, which really takes us to our next point. He crowns us with loving kindness and tender mercies. Once upon a time in evangelicanism, there was a, 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 a certain fear of hell that compelled millions of people to be saved. Jonathan Edwards, for instance, preached a sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Oh, man. I'd hate, I'd hate to put that sermon title on that, that marquee out front because we probably wouldn't have many people show up to church that Sunday. Amen. Some of y'all might even reconsider. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. And he preached that thing with fire and brimstone, and literally it brought about a great awakening in America. But if all we had was fire insurance, if all salvation was was a get-out-of-hell-free card, then we would only be celebrating the love of God in part. Because if you take that coin and you flip it over, you have this next point, which is that he crowns us with loving kindness and tender mercies. Is not wanting to go to hell sufficient to save? Sure. But how powerful of a motivator is it? How powerful of a motivator is it to know that that God has only spared you from hell? How much more significant is it to know that God has crowned us with loving kindness and tender mercies? What does this even mean? Well, we appreciate this because loving kindness and tender mercies are the good things that God passes to us. It's the things that that are positive in God's nature. That he surrounds us with. By the way, that, that crowns us with loving kindness is the, is the representation of the endless cycle of God's blessing and provision in your life of loving kindness and favor. That crown that he puts on your head is the symbol of that favor. And when he surrounds us with his loving kindness and his compassion, we become his children. Amen? And to appreciate this, as parents especially, we can say that because God's love is not only limited to the fact that he saved us from hell, but that he expanded it to include positive things like love and kindness and compassion. It's kind of like repentance. Repentance is great if you've turned from sin. But that's not all repentance requires. It actually requires you to also return to righteousness. If we only repent because we got caught, then we only have half the blessing. The other part is to be filled back up with the goodness and the, and the righteousness of God. And when we benefit from this in a positive way, we begin to, to kind of reassert our lives. We, everything's not coming up dead all the time. We begin to see things in a positive light. We begin to see things for that God sees them rather than the way the world would want us to see them. The fifth thing is that he satisfies our desires with good things. 
I'm looking for a cup of water, and I don't have it. This is going to get shorter and shorter. Oh, look at, look at it. Brother Michael's going to get me. I'm, I'm assuming that he is anyway. Going to get me a cup of water before I suffocate on myself. I love this next part. Oh, I thought he was coming. Now watch, he's probably just going to the restroom. He's going to come back empty-handed. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Let's go. Let's keep going. <clears throat> Number five, he satisfies our desires with good things. I love this part too because as we, as we begin to transition away from hell and, and toward the good things of God, then we, begin, we, we begin to get satisfied with God, right? Because again, not going to hell is great. See, look, Miss Shirley... Thank you both. <clears throat> I'm good for another hour. Did I hear moans? Those, <laughs> the, the, those, were, those were good moans. I, I understand. I know they were. Let's keep going. We've only got two more points, and I can make it. So here, here, the benefits here is pretty obvious, right? I mean, we, we're saved from hell. The, the Lord crowns us with loving kindness and compassion and favor. But then we begin to get satisfied on the good things. And this literally in the Hebrew literally speaks to the extra that God gives to us. If I could, if I could summarize this, this whole point of he satisfies our desires with good things, it's the extra that he gives us. Amen. It's, it's, it's living in a place that is satisfied, not just because we have what we need, but because we have what we want. And I know as Americans, we can appreciate that. I know we can, because we, we constantly live in a world of want. And we're, we're, we, we have everything we need, and many of us oftentimes spend time c- contemplating what we want. Now, don't, don't hear me wrong this morning. This, this is not necessarily speaking to the fact that, you know, some of you drove in on a Ford when you could have driven in on a Dodge. Okay, some, some of y'all got it. Good. All right, so it's not necessarily speaking to the tangible things. It's not necessarily even speaking to just the stuff that surrounds us. It's literally speaking to the idea that God blesses so much that we not only have what we need, and we're thankful for that, but we have all the things that we could possibly imagine. It's satisfaction. Amen. I used to have a truck, and it was a Dodge. It was a 97 model, and it didn't have any heat. I know, right? For a bald man who rarely wears a coat, that was a big deal. I literally would take a heater, plug it into my cigarette lighter, and, and, and I'd have a little heater in my truck. That was my heat. I gave it to my father-in-law. He has the truck now, but he doesn't drive it as much as I do. It wasn't a curse, but, but now I have a truck, a Dodge, that has heat. And every time I turn the heat on, I'm thankful for that heat because I didn't have it before. Now, in a, in a very small way, that's the explanation of what's going on in this verse. It's, it's the understanding that where we came from is not who we now are. 
in spiritual ways, in, in spiritual ways. We, we are who we are because of the good things that God gives to us. Yes, we all have our homes and our clothes and our food and all those kinds of things, but we delight ourselves in God because he is the one who gives us things that are extra. And that's the beauty of being satisfied in God, delighting ourselves in him. Because there's going to come a time when I'm going to have to buy another Dodge. Hopefully it's not soon. Hopefully it's not anytime soon anyway. I don't think that it is. Their Dodges are pretty well known to be better than every other. And so I'm grateful that I got a Dodge that I don't have to worry about it anytime soon. But the point being, the stuff dies. It decays. It goes away. But the things of God never do. They always satisfy because they're good. And then this last part, he restores our lives and strength. Now the psalm, the psalmist here gives us this last benefit, and I want to, I want to kind of tease it out because it's beautiful. It's, it, he gives it to us in the form of a simile. Uh, those of you that love English or the English language know that, that, a, that, that, that a simile is a figure of speech using like or as, right? In this, in this verse, who satisfies your mouth with the good things, that's what we just read, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. It's a simile. Well, what does it mean? Well, he, he's speaking to the fact that the Lord renews our lives and our strengths as if we were young again. Oh, the days, amen? Oh, the days when we were young and, and, and we had vitality and, and we had soundness of mind and body and, and we, we just feel like we could just go on forever. I, I know as a child, that's what I did. Everywhere I went as a child, I ran. Now, now I have a hard time just getting out of the recliner. And, and I'm only 43. Just wait, I know. I, I've heard all the stories. Brother David's told me most of them. <laughs> but but here's, here's the comparison. The comparison is that of an eagle. Now, in the Hebrew, and I know we don't, and I'm not going to beat this to death, don't worry, but, but there's something significant taking place here. In the Hebrew, it's referring to the molting process of the eagle. All right? It's, it's referring to a process that the eagle goes through that's very difficult. And, and, and if you know anything about the bird species, the, the eagle's molting process is especially difficult. It's also very precise and symmetrical. By the way, Dr. Davis, if I get out of line in any way whatsoever, you have full right to correct me. But it's, it's, it loses its feathers, for instance, in a very symmetrical design so that it can still function as it goes through this molting process. Now, the process itself is designed to make the bird stronger. It's designed to make it bigger. It's designed to make it function optimally. But as a young bird, it will systematically lose all of its feathers, especially its flight feathers. But those feathers will be replaced with bigger and stronger feathers. So as the process becomes hard and difficult. The bird itself, in some cases, has literally known to almost shut down and stop eating. It's so hard. It's so hard on it physically. It sometimes even has to rely on other eagles to even feed it, right? And as this bird goes through this process, 
it looks a mess. By the way, I got on, uh, on the internet last night and I looked up eagles molting. Y'all, it's pitiful. It's pitiful. They look a mess. I mean, they, they're, they, they're bald. You ever seen, I, I hate to use the pun, a bald eagle. I mean, a literal bald eagle, not just because it has a, any, you know what, you get my point. They, they don't have any feathers. They're bald. It's like, it's like looking at a bald cat. Bless them. They're just pitiful to look at. The bald eagle loses all of its feathers. Its countenance is downturned, and it literally looks like it wants to die. It does. It looks like it wants to die. But in time, and it's usually several months, in time, the eagle renews its strength. It renews its wings. And in time, it becomes bigger and stronger than it was before. And once it emerges out of the molting process, it is the most powerful bird of prey in the air. In fact, I read last night, Dr. Davis can fact check me. Please don't. Just let me run with it. That these eagles, after they're molted and after they've regained their strength, can fly at heights to 10 to 20,000 feet in the air. They've been known to fly at speeds of 60 miles an hour. I don't remember the last time I've driven my truck 60 miles an hour because I literally live in town. But these birds, after they've molted and after they've, they've regained their strength, they can do these amazing things. Now, what does this have to do with our text? Well, believers oftentimes go through the exact same processes. We often go through seasons in our lives that are difficult. We experience things that causes our countenances to fall, our strength to fail, and our hope to fade. But God, who is rich in love, sustains us through these seasons. In fact, these seasons are often designed by God to craft us into bigger, stronger Christians. Virtues like patience often emerge from such seasons of hardship. Remember James chapter 1, verse 1 says, Count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You want to pray for patience? You better be ready for a hardship because that's how it's produced. But understand that during that time of hardship, that time, if you will, of comparison, spiritual molting, the Lord is is rebuilding us. He's recrafting us into this creature that will soar above this world, that we will be stronger, that our courses will be set, and we will experience things like we've never experienced before. All because of this great benefit from God who renews our youth like an eagle. And if I can take this all the way back to the beginning of our text today, this is a good observation as Christians that we entertain, especially during this national celebration of thanksgiving. That we return all the way back to verse 1 and say, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord and all that is with 
is, is within me. Bless his holy name. You're going to sit down this week and you're going to sit down for a big meal and your family and your friends and you're going to break bread and give thanks for all that God has done this year. Remember in there somewhere to look up to the heavens and say, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. What do we do at the end of all of these benefits? What is the conclusion to all that we have just read this morning but to give thanks to God? That we bless his name in the congregation, saints here at First Baptist Church. That you bless him in your life and in your home and all that you are. That you bless him for who he is, for what he's done, and for the benefits thereof. Bless his holy name. Let's pray this morning as a church. Father, thank you this morning for this word. Lord, as, as it has now concluded, Lord, I just pray that, that this word has, has, has multiplied in our hearts. That, that, that as, we, as we break the, the bread of life this morning through this sermon... Father, that something is said, that something is done in our hearts that, 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 that just leaves us with little recourse than just to thank you for all that you've done. Thank you for all of the benefits that we've read this morning just because of who you are and what you've done. Father, that we can have confidence in this morning in knowing that you heal our diseases, that you save us from destruction, that you set our lives on paths of righteousness and loving kindness. Father, that you renew us through seasons of hardship and restore our strength back unto us like the eagle after it's molted. And Father, this morning as this sermon now comes to a close, I pray that your word is more alive than ever, that it's activated in our hearts and in our souls and that we respond to it in accordance to your will. Father, I thank you for the reading of your word this morning and as, as, as your saints now respond. May it be done in accordance to your will. And we pray this in Christ's name. And amen. Our hymn of response is give thanks. Brother Ben will be down here at the front. You come as the Lord leads. May we stand together as we sing give thanks.
God bless you for being here this morning. I do pray that you have a great Thanksgiving, that you and your family are just reminded of all the blessings uh, that you uh, have been given from God, the benefits that this sermon helped you, at least reminds you of a few of those things. All right, y'all have a great week. No services this Wednesday night. Don't forget, uh, we're, we're not going to have any evening uh, midweek services. Um, and so we will literally meet next Sunday, next Sunday morning. Um, and uh, anyway, God bless you. Have a great day. Um, I, I, I would ask if, if a few of you are able and capable, we're going to load these boxes up into the van that's parked right outside that door, um, and um, we're going to deliver them. So if you're capable and you're able and you're willing, uh, please stick around and help us with that, okay? All right, be praying for you this week. Stay, stay healthy, stay strong, and we'll see you next Sunday. Brother Richard? Yes. And for those in the choir, remember we're having our extra Christmas bonus rehearsal and uh, congregation, I'll go ahead and let you know, Sunday, December 18th, uh, we're going to have our Christmas music presentation here in the church, Sunday morning, 1045, and um, I'll just give you a little hint to say, uh, right now, uh, if, if everybody's coming to sing, we're going to have uh, more than 20 singers, and uh, somewhere around 26 singers, I'm hoping, so uh, it'll be a great program, so... Uh, you uh, be praying for the choir, and they're going to have a little uh, afternoon rehearsal. And uh, now, as we are dismissed, we're going to sing together, Find Us Faithful. you.